The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So some of you are aware of the fact that I am an Atlanta Braves fan. And I've taken Levi to a couple of games this year, and earlier this year we were at one such game, and at some point during that, uh, he needed to use the bathroom. So we wait till an inning break because i got to make this as quick as possible so I don't miss any of the game because that's obviously what I'm most worried about. And so I take him uh, to use the bathroom, and when we get there, I pick out a spot outside of the bathroom right by the water fountains, and I'm like, look, okay, whoever finishes first come and wait here for the other person. I said that because I knew it would be me, and from this spot, I could see a television so I could keep up with what was going on on the screen. I know, most of you are thinking right now, you're a horrible parent who would leave your child alone in a public restroom. I own that. I am a terrible parent. This is complete selfishness on display. But regardless of the fact, that's what's going on. He's still here. He's fine. It's okay, people. We can, we can move on. All right. So, uh, I come out of the restroom to our agreed-upon meeting spot, and he's not there. So I wait for him. And I wait, and I grow a little bit nervous. And so I venture back into the restroom to check and see if he's there, and he is not there. And so I come back out, and he is still not at our meeting spot, at which point my heart begins to pound and all I hear in my mind is the cries of my wife before she kills me. <laughs> this is her first time hearing this story, by the way. And, and so, so I immediately begin wading through the crowd, calling out his name, trying to find him. There, there, there were people everywhere. There were like 35,000 people at this game on this particular day. It's loud. You can barely hear me. Voices are bouncing off the concrete all around. I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to find him. There's no way, like, like, either he's gone and I'm dead, or I'm going to be that parent that gets called over the loudspeaker to come get my child from the lost and found. Like, those are the only two scenarios. And then as I'm walking and calling out his name, I finally, I, I feel it, this small hand come up and latch on to mine. And I turn around, and there's my son, and I embrace him, and I wipe the tears from his face because he's freaking out just as bad as I was freaking out. And what had happened was he had come out first and he'd seen somebody pass by that apparently looked enough like me from the back that he followed them for a moment, not long until he realized it wasn't me, but long enough that he couldn't find his way back. He began to panic like I began to panic. And, and yet even in the midst of his panic through the large crowd, he heard me. He heard me call him by name. And he recognized my, my voice. He knew it. And he, he followed it. This, this is similar to what Jesus is describing for us here in John chapter 10. His voice, Jesus' voice, going forth, calling his followers by name. They hear it, and because they recognize it, they know it, they, they, they know his voice, they they follow him. This is what Jesus describes in John 10, verses 1 to 18. But he's not just describing simultaneously with his description. This is actually what Jesus is doing. He's describing it, and simultaneously he's doing it. He is lifting up his voice. 
He is calling us to, to follow him. The question that hangs near is, will we recognize him for who he is? Will we recognize his voice? Will we see him for who he is or, or will we be blind to it? That's, that's the question that hangs in the air as this chapter begins, because that's the question that was left hanging in the air at the end of the last chapter. Chapters 9 and 10 just erase that chapter break. It's not actually there in the original text. John didn't go chapter 9, done, okay, now chapter 10. No, there's no break between the end of 9 and the beginning of 10. It just moves from one straight to the other. It's a continuing conversation. And if you can remember where we ended at the end of chapter 9 last week, Jesus has just been speaking with some Pharisees who claim to have spiritual sight. These Pharisees claim to be able to see and to perceive spiritual things. And Jesus looks at them and very bluntly basically says, you're blind. And they push back on him over that. Are we blind? We're not blind. They claim to see. Christ says they're blind, and so what we see right here at the beginning of chapter 10 is Christ is going to give them a spiritual vision test. Like, have you ever been in, a, in an optometrist's office, you know the little sight chart thing, it's got the big letters at the top and goes down in the smaller letters and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's basically what Jesus is, is doing here. It's like, okay, Pharisees, you say that you can see. I'm going to give you a, a figure of speech full of, of spiritual truth. Will you see it or will you be blind to it? They're not even going to be able to see the giant E at the top of this thing. That's the question hanging in the air. Will you see it? Will you see who I am or will you be blind to it? And so that's the question for us. Through this figure of speech in verses 1 to 6, Jesus is going to lay out for the Pharisees and for us what he is doing. He's going to be answering the question of, of what. He, he describes what he's doing and he does it at the same time. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's why I came to the earth. And here's, here's, here's what I'm doing on mission right now amongst you. Do you see it or are you blind to it? And then he's going to go on in verses 7 to 10, just giving you an outline of where we're headed. He's going to go on in verses 7 to 10 to explain why he does what he does. Tell us what he does, and then he'll tell us why he does what he does. And then in verses 11 to 18, he will explain how he is going to do it. What, why, and how. Three sections, and in every section, Jesus is going to press the same question to the Pharisees and to us. Do we see, or are we blind? Do we see what he does, why he does it, how he does it? Or are we, are we blind to that. So let's walk through all three of these sections, asking ourselves these, these questions. Let's listen to Jesus and see if we hear him call out our, our name. See, see if, like Levi, through the noise, we can recognize a voice and, and follow. So let's begin reading together. Verse 1, as Jesus describes what he's doing. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the Pharisees are claiming to have spiritual sight, so Jesus paints a picture right here with his words, basically asking, can you see this? If you can see, can you see this? This is the spiritual sight test. And it should be easy, just like the big fat letter E at the top of the sight chart in your optometrist office. It should be easy for them to see what it is Jesus is talking about. Jesus is describing to them the situation that they are currently in. Like he has come as the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. That's, that's the sheepfold. He's the legitimate shepherd because he has been let in by the gatekeeper, God himself. He's told us multiple times just over the last chapter that he has been sent by God. And what he's doing all throughout chapter 9 and right here in chapter 10 is calling out his sheep by name. And when they hear him, they follow him. Is that not exactly what we just saw in John chapter 9 with the man born blind? Like, Jesus called out this man. He heard and he recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He saw not just physically, but he saw spiritually. He saw physically when Jesus healed him. He saw spiritually when Jesus called him. And we end the chapter with this man worshiping Jesus, following Jesus. All throughout that chapter, this man born blind, he would not follow the Pharisees. No matter how much they talked to him or how much they debated him or how much they tried to convince him that Jesus was of Satan, he, he wouldn't follow their voice. He fled from it like, like a sheep from a stranger. For they do not follow the voice of strangers. Do you see, G Jesus is describing the situation they are currently in. But this actually goes even deeper than that. Because he's not just describing, he's doing, right? We talked about that. He is actually doing the very thing he's describing. He's lifting up his voice as the true shepherd of God's people, calling out for the sheep. His sheep hear the voice, they recognize it, they know it, and they, they, they follow him. This, this is an image, a shepherd calling out to sheep, sheep recognizing a shepherd's voice. This is an image, maybe a little strange to us, but it's one that Jesus' audience would have understood. In, in the ancient Near East, there were often communal sheep folds, like a large pen, basically, with a, a rock wall around it, only one gate in and out. And multiple shepherds with multiple flocks would would put their flocks in these communal sheep folds at night. They'd hire a gatekeeper to stand watch. And when the shepherd came back to retrieve his sheep, the gatekeeper obviously could recognize the shepherd and, and open the gate for him. But the gatekeeper wasn't the only one that could recognize the shepherd. The sheep also could as, as well. But not, not visually, they recognized him verbally. The shepherd could literally stand with multiple flocks inside of the sheepfold and call out and only his sheep would come out to follow him. They, they knew his, his voice, and he knew each of them. It, this is not just hyperbole right here. When Jesus says that he knows his own sheep by name, there were shepherds that knew their own sheep by name, individually able to recognize each sheep, just like the sheep could recognize him. 
Do you see the implications of what Jesus is saying here? If we move beyond the figure of speech, beyond the metaphor, to what he actually means, do you see what he's saying for us? For those who are listening to him right then, he's, he's asking, he's begging the question, do you know my voice? Like, Do you know the voice of Christ? Are you able to hear it, recognize it right here, right now, in this text, in this moment? Do you hear Jesus doing what he is describing? Do you hear him calling you as a shepherd calls his, his sheep? Right now, I'm asking you, in this, in this, do you recognize his voice in this word? I'm not... I'm not asking you if you're hearing some kind of like booming voice from the sky. I think that often when I was younger and I would read this text, I would get freaked out. Because I'd be like, I don't recognize the voice of Jesus. I don't hear Jesus speaking to me from the, the clouds. That, that's not what's going on here. I'm not denying that people have spiritual experiences. But what I'm saying is that God has given us a place where his voice is guaranteed. Do you hear it there? His voice is guaranteed here in this word. It's not a dead word. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It's able to do that because this word was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And he wields it as his sword, Ephesians tells us. And he pierces our hearts. with When, when you read this word... When, do you hear the voice of Jesus? When, when you hear this word preached, do you hear Jesus calling you by name? Does your heart say, even right now, that's the voice of my shepherd? I, I hear him. And I, I want to follow him. When I ask, do you recognize the voice of Jesus? I'm not just asking, okay, do you have some kind of mental recognition that the Bible is the word of God so that when you read it or hear it preach, you're like, yes, I'm willing to admit that's the word. No, no. Do you hear it like a sheep hears the voice of his shepherd? The sheep doesn't just recognize the voice of his shepherd. He follows it. He wants to go wherever that voice is leading because he loves his shepherd. He trusts his shepherd. So he, he follows his his shepherd. That's what verse 4 is all about. Look at it again. When he, when the shepherd has brought out all his own sheep, so he's called out all his own sheep to him, when he's done that, the shepherd goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is what it means to know his voice. Not just a recognition of it, but I love it, I want it, I trust it, I'm going to follow him. He goes before them, not behind them. This is different. This is different from how shepherds operate in Western culture. In Western culture, shepherds go behind their sheep. We're familiar with images of things like sheepdogs, driving sheep to where they're supposed to go. That's not how Eastern cultures shepherd. The shepherd doesn't drive the sheep from behind. In the East, sheepdogs are not a thing. 
They don't drive them from behind. They lead them from out in front of them. The shepherd goes before the flock. And they follow the voice of the one that they love and, and trust. Feel the implications of that. Like, when I say, do you hear the voice of not just not just do you recognize it through this word, but do you love him and trust him and want to follow? When you, when you hear his voice, does your heart long to, to follow him? I was 15 the first time I remember actually experiencing what we're talking about. I still have my little Bible, this little pocket-sized Bible from when I was 15. The things like falling apart, not because I'm awesome, but because hearing God's voice is. And it was really the first time in my, my life that I recognized through this word, I'm hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. Like process that for a moment. Getting the voice of Jesus, and I fell in love with Jesus through, through hearing his voice, and I wanted to, to follow him. I'm not saying any of that to, to brag on myself or, or any of that kind of thing. I'm, I'm saying that because I want you to see the point at which I have felt this truth touch down within my own life and ask, have you felt this truth touch down in yours? Or do you need it to be rekindled? I often need this to be rekindled in my own heart and life. Do you, do you hear the voice of Christ here in this word? And you love it, you trust it, you want to obey, you want to follow. When, when you hear his commands through this word, do you love them? The psalmist says that he loves the law of the Lord. It is his delight. Better to him than much gold, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. That's like better to him than the best stock investment and sweeter than Reese's peanut butter cups, people. It's my delight when you hear his commands. And I'm using the word commands on purpose because his commands are typically what we don't like to hear. They feel burdensome. Like someone is behind us, pushing us in a certain direction. There, there are some of us, some of us here, I encounter people that feel this way, no matter where I go, no matter where I preach. And so I'm sure there are some in here that when you feel, the, when, when, when you hear the commands of God, you, it, it feels burdensome. There's something in you. Maybe you come from a legalistic background so that when you hear the commands of Christ, you, you think that somehow his commands or his demands go against the grain of grace and make you feel guilty. So you push back against that real quick. Whip out some Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 real fast. It's by grace that I have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of works lest anyone should boast. And I say to that, yes and amen, that's true. But at the same time, I would say, commands aren't against grace. Grace empowers us to keep commands. If you're going to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you've got to finish it off with verse 10. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, connecting word, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, no, you don't get in good with God by doing works. God brings you in by his grace, recreates you, and empowers you to live a God-centered life. You don't live a God-centered, godly life in order to get in with God. God brings you in by grace, empowers you by his grace to make you godly. When, when you hear the commands of, of Christ, do they feel burdensome, like someone's pushing behind you, pushing you in a certain direction? Or, or does it feel like someone is, is pulling your heart along from out in front of you, beckoning you to to beckoning you by love to follow him. John 14 and verse 15, Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is not about guilt. It's about grace. If you love me, this is what you do. This, this goes in line with the grain of love and grace. If you love me, you, you want to follow me. I'm out in front of you, beckoning you to come along. And you, you love me, you trust me, you want to follow. 1 John 5, 3 says it like this. This is the love of God. This is how we have love for God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. No, I'm a sheep. I, I love it when he calls. I love to hear his voice. And so I want to follow. That's my joy. I flee from other, ver from other voices. That's what, that's what verse 5 says, isn't it? Look at it again. I love the voice of Christ. I want to follow that. I flee from other voices. A stranger they will not follow. But they flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. A stranger's voice doesn't sound right. The sheep are able to distinguish between the voice of a stranger and their shepherd. Why? Because they know the voice of their shepherd so well. Like, press those implications in upon your heart. How well do you know the shepherd's voice through this word? Do we know, do we know him, his voice, through this word, well enough that we can distinguish between his voice and the voice of strangers. There are a lot of strangers out there beckoning us to follow them. Even strangers that go underneath the label of Christian. There are a lot of strangers that you can watch preach something other than the gospel on TV. There are a lot of strangers' books that you can buy in a Christian bookstore. There's a lot of strangers' podcasts that you can download who are not leading you towards Christ. We must be equipped to know the difference between the voice of a stranger and the voice of our shepherd. And the way we are equipped is through knowing the voice of our shepherd so well. Do you know this word better than any other? Do you listen directly to the voice of your shepherd through this word? More than you listen to, to my voice. More than you read from popular Christian books or listen to podcasts. Come to the direct source. We've got to know the voice of our shepherd well so that we will flee from strangers and follow our shepherd. This is, this is what Jesus came to do. 
That's what we've covered so far. This is, this is what he's doing right now. He's calling out to his sheep as the shepherd, do we hear him? He's gathering his sheep to himself. Are we, are we following him? Do we see him as the shepherd that he is? Jesus is speaking. Are we seeing or are we blind? The Pharisees in this text, do they see? Verse 6 tells us. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They're blind. They don't see the shepherd. They don't see what he's actually accusing them of in this text. He's calling them strangers. He's calling them thieves, them robbers, them false teachers that try to mislead the sheep. They don't see any of that. So Jesus is going to take this figure of speech and he's going to explain it and he's going to expand it. He's, he's laid out for us what he's doing and what the Pharisees are doing. They're like thieves and robbers trying to hop over the fence to steal sheep. He's laid out what he's doing, calling sheep to himself. He's laid out what the Pharisees are doing. Now he's going to tell us why he's doing it. What, what his purpose is in calling the sheep to himself. He's also going to tell us why it is that the Pharisees do what they do. Act as thieves and robbers to steal sheep. He's told us what. Now he's going to tell us why in verses 7 to 10. Look at it with me. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's mentioning false messiahs there. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus starts off here what he says twice in these verses. I am the door. Now, if you're like me, you hear that and your first instinct may be able to, may, may be to say, hold up, Jesus. Like I thought in this figure of speech, you were the shepherd. Now you're the door. That doesn't work. You can't be both. Scholars and pastors try to come up with all sorts of solutions to this little problem that Jesus is making for us here in the text. Some even, uh, they, they, they like to get really creative and call up an ancient Near Eastern practice where you would have a sheepfold that didn't actually have a gate. It just had an open space. So the shepherd would lay in it, making himself the gate. So he's the only way in and out. And there's some truth to that, but I don't think that's what Jesus is going for here. I mean, after all, in this figure of speech, he's already described the sheepfold with a gatekeeper. It doesn't make sense to have a gatekeeper Unless there's a gate for him to keep. Maybe that's just me. I think Jesus is describing himself here in two different ways, and he's doing it on purpose. He's describing himself as the door. And he's also describing himself as the, the shepherd. Remember, John, our author, his entire point in this gospel is for you to behold the multifaceted glory of Jesus. He takes Jesus and he spins him constantly like a diamond, showing you facet after facet after facet. Jesus doesn't just say, I am the door and I am the shepherd in this gospel. He also says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And he is all of these things all the time. 
Like Jesus has no problem saying that he's more than one thing in order that we might see he, his glory in all things. Jesus is not one-dimensional. He wants you to see that he is all you need. And right here he wants us to see that we need him as door and we need him as shepherd. He says, I am, I am the door. I, I think that by saying that, Jesus is showing us why he does what he does. Why he's come to this world to call his sheep to himself. Do you, do you see why? Look at verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The door is the way in. It's the way into the sheepfold. The way in to, to safety. The way in to salvation. Jesus says, I am the only door, the only way in. The door is the way in, but it's not just the way in, it's also the way out. Is that not what verse 9 said as well? That if you, if you enter by Jesus, you will go in and out and find pasture. Find, find provision. The, the door is the way in for protection, and it's the way out for provision. Je Jesus, by saying I'm the door, is saying I am your salvation, your complete salvation, your protection and your provision all you need. I'm not, I'm not just, I think that we tend to think of the, the door as like the defense. It's just what keeps us in. Jesus isn't just saying, I, I'm the door that hems you in so that you stay alive in the pen. That wouldn't be much of a life. No, he says, I'm, I'm the door. I'm the way out into abundant pastures. I'm the way into abundant pastures of, of full life. The door is an, is an image of, of protection and provision, an image of full salvation, not just of life protected, but of abundant life. It's an image of salvation. Salvation from what? Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The door's protection, it's salvation from thieves, robbers, strangers. And it's provision. It's, it's salvation from the starvation that thieves would bring who do not aim to feed the sheep but only aim to feed themselves. We are told why thieves like the Pharisees do what they do right here. They, we're told what they're, they're after. They come to steal and kill and destroy. Why else would a thief go after sheep other than to kill it and consume it for themselves or to kill it and sell it for their own profit? Either way you go, thieves sacrifice the sheep for themselves. Shades, feel the implications of this. All too often we look at this verse, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we label the thief right there as Satan. Satan is not in the context here. I'm like, well, if I'm, I'm guarded against Satan, so I'm good. No, the text is much more subtle than that. There are thieves 
all around, feel the implications of this. We are being told, beware of the thieves and the robbers, of false teachers who love to write books and blogs and speak at conferences, not to care for the flock, but to pad their own pockets. And Shades, we are being told, beware of posing shepherds, pastors. That's what the word pastor means, shepherd. It's just from the Latin. Be, beware of pastors who aren't willing to sacrifice themselves to lead you, but instead always aim to please you and then pass the plate to pad their own pocket. Eugene Peterson, speaking to a group of pastors, says this, being a pastor who satisfies congregations is one of the easiest jobs in the world if we are content to satisfy congregations. What he means is it's very easy to be a people pleaser, to simply give people what they want in order to, for, to have your own comfort, your own, your own selfish gain. Beware, shades, of pastors who aren't willing to, to lead in a way that makes them bleed, in a way that's hard and painful. Beware of pastors who aren't willing to be faithful to the word, to the word when the world applies pressure or when their own congregation applies pressure. Beware of pastors who aren't willing to lead in a way that makes them bleed. Beware of pastors who aren't leading you to take up your cross as they take up theirs. This was the Pharisees. They're supposed to be pastors. They're supposed to be shepherds, leading and feeding the flock of God. Instead, they're thieves, using the flock to feed themselves. Ezekiel, the prophet, back in Ezekiel chapter 34, he describes these type of shepherds. Listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 34, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. This passage like, I think this has got to be coming into the minds of these Pharisees as they hear the words of Jesus, right? He's calling them illegitimate shepherds. This is, he's echoing Ezekiel 34. And if he's calling them illegitimate shepherds out of Ezekiel 34, then who does he think he is? Because I'm sure that they are remembering what the rest of Ezekiel 34 says, because it goes on to describe the legitimate shepherd, the one and only, Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will be the shepherd of my sheep. 
How? How's God going to do that? I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, who shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. God says, I myself will come to shepherd my sheep. I'm going to come through the line of David. David, the human being, was long dead by the point that Ezekiel writes this. David, whom had begun his life as a shepherd boy, and God picked him up and made him king over all of Israel, shepherd over all of God's people. He was Israel's greatest king, Israel's greatest greatest shepherd, God says, I'm coming through David's line to be the ultimate king, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate David. And here's Jesus from the line of David, ultimate king, ultimate shepherd, here to feed his sheep. This is why Jesus is calling his sheep to himself, to feed them to protect them, to provide, to give them life and life abundantly. He says that explicitly in verse 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, I came. Here's the why. I came that they may have life, that I might protect them. And they have life, but not just protect them. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've come to provide everything. Do you see, do you see, remember that's, that's the question that's being pushed to us, right? Do you see why Jesus has come? Or are we blind to this purpose? Do you see right now in this moment, do you, he, he's calling you to enter into salvation through him, the only door, and have life permanently protected. Eternal life. That's what, that's what permanently protected life is. It's eternal because it's permanently protected. When I say those words, I, I do not mean that Jesus will keep everything bad away. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. And when I say that you will have life that is permanently protected, I mean that you will have a life in which you will never be separated from Christ. That not even if you experience pain, suffering, and death, not even death can separate you from Christ. You have a life that goes beyond the grave, a permanently protected life in Christ. Jesus came to give you that permanently protected life. But that's not all. It's not the only reason why. He didn't just come for your protection. He also came for your provision. Not just life, but life abundant. He is the door. He is the way that you are led out into abundant pastures where your heart can drink and eat to satisfaction. No one else and nothing else in this world can lead you to pleasant, to pastures of pleasure that satisfy. He's the only, he's the only door. He's the only way into those pastures, permanent pastures of pleasure. When I say that, I do not mean that if you follow Christ, that you will get everything in this world that you want. No, what I mean is that what you want will be transformed and what you want is Christ. And you give him to your full satisfaction. He provides you with himself forever. This is why Christ calls his sheep to himself. Do you see him as the only door to our permanent protection and permanent pleasure? The only door to life. Life abundant. That's why he came 
why he calls you, that you may have life and have it abundantly. But the final question is how? How? How's he going to give you that? He tells us in verses 11 to 18. We're not going to cover much here because we're going to sink our teeth into it next week. I just want to read it for you, and all I want us to see is how he will do this. Verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees a wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep. He flees, and the wolf snatches then scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. The thief sacrifices the sheep for himself. The shepherd sacrifices himself for the sheep. How many times in that passage did Jesus say, I lay my life down? How, how, how will Christ permanently protect our lives? He will take on every single thing that could threaten to take eternal life from you. Like, like a shepherd who takes on a wolf, he will take on every single sin with every ounce of condemnation it ever deserved, and he will die in our place and bring our sin to an end. The shepherd will become a lamb, one of us. Is that not what he's not just describing, but what he's doing here? God become one of us, a man. The shepherd himself becomes a lamb. The lamb that John told us in chapter one takes away the sin of the world with all its condemnation. Permanent protection for you, eternal life. But what about permanent provision? Like I thought that Christ provided us with himself to enjoy forever thought that death itself couldn't separate us from him. If he dies, like even if it's for me to save me and permanently protect me, if he dies, don't I lose him? I'm trying not to smile. You know where this is going. You're ahead of me, right? If the shepherd dies to protect the sheep in the pen, who's going to lead them out to pastures of pleasure? We need a shepherd who doesn't stay dead. Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Praise be to the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Our shepherd didn't stay dead. No. Jesus says, he says it in verse 18, I've got the authority to lay my life down, so I've got the, for your permanent protection, I lay my life down, so I've got the authority to take it back up again for your permanent provision. I, 
I will die so that you may have life, and I will rise so that you may have it abundantly. Joy in me forever. Shades, do you see? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Calling out to his sheep right now. Do you see? Do you hear his voice? Recognize it? Love it? Want to follow it? Do you you see why he's calling you? That you may have permanent life protected forever, that you may have a heart permanently provided for full pleasure in in him. And do you see how he's accomplished this? The shepherd himself became a lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He took on everything that could bring us permanent death, died in our place, and rose that we might have much enjoyment and an abundant life in him forever. Revelation 7 and verse 17 says that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy this lamb shepherd, this shepherd lamb forever. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, permanent provision and satisfaction forever. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, permanent protection from the lamb who is your good shepherd. Shades, do you see who he is? Do you see what he's done, why he's done it, and how he's done it?